Welcome to Expert Gold Radio, which shows you how to leverage your leadership. Here's your host, Gahan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to Expert Gold Radio for December 2013. This is the last radio show for the year. I hope you've had a happy, productive and profitable year. Of course, this is the time of the year when a lot of people are planning and strategizing and doing their goal setting. In fact, if you look at Google Trends for the phrase goal setting, you'll see a big spike in December and January every year. Not surprisingly. So this month, we're going to look at three things that will help you with your planning, your goal setting and your productivity. First, I'm going to talk with exercise physiologist David Beard about what leaders need to do to stay fit and healthy in this fast-paced, busy, ever-changing world. Then, Chris Pudney and I discuss the seven habits of highly effective out-of-office workers. And we finish up with nine things that successful people do differently. And that's based on the latest research into goal-setting, achievement, and success. So let's start with the conversation that I had with David Beard. Hello, this is Gihan Pereira. I'm speaking today with David Beard, who's an exercise physiologist and a coach for busy leaders who want to stay fit, healthy, happy, and energized. And I hope that's you as well. Uh, I've known David for a long time, and I've always been impressed with, well, how he's been able to help people stay sharp and do it quickly. So it doesn't take hours in a treadmill or carefully counting calories in every meal. And his advice has always been, in my experience, really practical, efficient, and effective and and leads to long-term fitness uh, not just the short-term things and it's not just fitness it's also health and happiness so I'm really pleased to be speaking with David today to discuss his ideas and and I hope to share some of his secrets as well so welcome David thanks Gehan pleasure to be here great great so let's start with a little bit of background because I know you've got some formal background I know you've got a lot of experience and I know you've got lots of practical stuff as well so how did you get to where you are now I started out uh, Gihan thinking I would be a uh, physical education teacher at university mm-hmm. and uh, got halfway through that and realized I was much more interested in and concerned about the health and the impacts of ex- exercise and lifestyle on, on health. So I can, can um, continued on, did an honours degree, went overseas, did a master's degree in exercise physiology and a number of other health-related opportunities that came through that. Um, I work in aged in, um, in health promotion first when I got back for HBF, uh, WA's biggest health insurer, doing some corporate health work with uh, early on with executives and with, with just companies going out and, and setting up health promotion programs in organisations. This was kind of in the early days of, of corporate health. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job in aged care, so I got to work with some fascinating people of, of senior years, sort of from 75 up to 102, I think, was the oldest I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and that gave me a lot of insight into, you know, what really works for people over the long term. And since then, I've, since I've left the aged care industry directly, I still work with, uh, with some older adults, but I do some, I've done some business coaching, I do some management consulting, and now I've sort of brought all of that together, my health knowledge, my exercise fitness knowledge, my um, aged care knowledge to help people develop lifestyles that fit into, you know, everyday things they have to do. Um, but allow them to stay fit and healthy um, while still having a full and busy life. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I've always been impressed about, the way that you, the, the things that you talk about, David, it's not just for people who've got a lot of time, because a lot of us don't have a lot of time, and I've always been impressed by the fact that you've worked with people, with older people, and helping them stay sharp. And I know this is a really popular topic, this whole idea of health and fitness, and it's very much in high demand, and there, there seem to be a lot of gurus and experts out there, sometimes self-proclaimed, and sometimes sometimes even people with the same sort of 
level of experience and academic backgrounds that you've got. Uh, what do you think makes your stuff different and what makes you different? I think the key that the, the key difference I try, I believe, Gihan, and I, I agree with you, there's lots of people out there with the technical knowledge about health and fitness. Um, over the years, the experience I've gathered, and, and particularly working in aged care, I, I think I've, I've learned how to get to the real practical what works, particularly for busy people, particularly for people in business. You know, I understand when you work in business and you've got a family and you've got all the other commitments that go with that, you haven't got lots of time to devote to yourself to staying fit and healthy. So I really work on how do I make exercise and activity and the lifestyle habits are important as efficient as possible so people don't have to spend hours trying to achieve the results that they want to get. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that, that's really great that you do that because and, and I, I'm hoping that we'll talk a little bit more about those in detail a little bit later. Um, one of the things I'm always curious about, David, is that there are, there are I guess, people fall into two groups. There's one group who knows that they need to do something about their health and fitness, and there's another group that don't. So uh, for, some, for, the, for the first group, the signs are obvious. Yeah, you know, they, they know they need to do something and they want to do something. Maybe they don't know exactly what. But I bet you there's a whole bunch of people who don't even realize they need to do something about their health. And I'm curious whether you can, particularly for that group of people, David, whether you can talk about some of the signs that you see that people can look at themselves and go, hold on, I actually need to do something about this. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? People tend to ignore things. And with health, it's a, it's a bit like a flat tire on your bike. You don't notice it's going and down until all of a sudden it gets really flat. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that people could tune into a bit more carefully, I think, is one of the obvious ones is, you know, if you've gone out a hole on your belt, that's a sign that, um, you know, I'm not a great one for, for weights of scales, but your belt's a really good indicator that maybe you're storing a bit more energy than you're, uh, than you're burning up. So that's an that's a easy one. Another one is where day-to-day things just start to get a little bit harder to do. I was talking with someone the other week who I've been talking with for years about getting into exercise and um, getting a bit healthier. And, you know, the thing that triggered him to actually take action was he was having trouble putting his socks on. Mm-hmm. Now, he's not old. Um, he's, he's middle-aged. And he thought, gosh, if I'm having trouble putting my socks on now, what's it going to be like in 20 years' time? So that, that was the trigger for him. Um, people find themselves getting out of breath a little bit, walking up the stairs. Um, that's a sign that maybe their health's not as good as it, as it should be. Or just feeling a bit tired and lacking in energy. And um, I ask people, you know, do you get up every morning looking forward to the day or do you feel like it's going to be a struggle? And if it's going to be a struggle, then that's a sign maybe you need to be taking some action. That's really really interesting, David, because I'm, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people who just go, look, the world is just stressful. The world is tiring. I'm in a high powered, high stress job. That's just the way it is. And I think what you're saying is, no, hold on. There are things you can do about that. You don't have to just accept the way that the world is and your environment is. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, the world is stressful for all of us. Um, and unfortunately, a, people, a lot of people do just accept that, you know, the world's stressful, it's going to impact on me or I'm getting older and my health's going to deteriorate. And that isn't necessarily the case. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, the world's still going to be demanding. Um, but how physically capable we are, how physically fit we are, how our internal physiology works helps to combat that stress so it doesn't affect us physically. And that's, uh, that's one of the keys to, to looking after your health. Yeah, great, great. And I know a lot of the things that you've talked about are about exercise. And 
I guess when people look at this whole idea of health, they look at the two things. They look at diet and exercise, and some people say it's all about diet. Others say it's all about exercise. Others say it's got to be a combination of the two. Where do you sit on that sort of spectrum, and what, what do you think is the right balance? Well, there's a saying that you can't out-train a, a bad diet, um, mm. which means you know you can do a whole heap of exercise, but if your diet's terrible, you'll still put on weight. Um, and, and there's a lot of truth in that. Um, so diet is certainly important. But from a health risk point of view, um, if you are physically fit and you've got a good good level of fitness, even if you're carrying a few extra kilos, then um, your health risk's not that not that much higher than somebody who is is of normal weight. And in fact, the research is showing us now that if you're normal weight by the scales, but you're unfit, you're at a much higher risk than somebody who is perhaps considered overweight but's physically fit. So I think exercise is is the is the foundation. And the other reason I think that too is I get people to focus on getting fitter. And when people are focusing on getting fitter, they kind of naturally look at what they're eating as well. Whereas when people just focus on their diet, they don't necessarily think I've got to exercise to get fitter. So I think exercise leads to eating better, but dieting doesn't necessarily lead to being more active and, and getting fitter. Yeah, and you've just reminded me, there's a, there's a recent book by Charles Duhigg about habits, and he says that the whole exercise habit is one of those foundation habits when, when you start getting that under control, then it affects a whole bunch, it has a whole bunch of follow-on effects for other areas of your life. Oh, absolutely. Um, and the biggest, biggest flow-on effect it has is on your physiology. Um, when you're exercising regularly, your physiology, your internal chemistry, if you like, tends to be in better balance. So you don't binge on foods you don't crave things that are um you know high in sugar and high in fat as much as somebody who isn't active so it helps to to balance out all that physiology so your body actually performs and wants the sort of foods that are better for you yeah great okay so i've got a question about that david i'm looking at it from a point of view of somebody who's busy and i hope i'm not jumping ahead too far uh, too fast here and tell me if I am but one of the things I've heard you often say is that intensity is more important than duration uh, and is that just because nowadays we don't have the time to be exercising for a long time or is it actually the case that for your body shorter more intense exercise is better anyway um, certainly that the comment you made about we've got less time I think that's part of the, the busy life that we lead but for a long time the, re- the research was showing that you know, the more exercise you do, the healthier you are. And what I think they were really s- saying, although they weren't, weren't wording it very well, was the fitter you are, the healthier you are. So if somebody's out exercising for you know, two hours a day but they're not exercising at a high enough intensity, their fitness isn't going to improve that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so the key really is not how much exercise you're doing, it's how fit are you. And so if you can... If you can get and stay fit doing less exercise, then that gives you more time to do the other things you want to do. You've got less chance of injuring yourself because you're not spending hours sort of paving the pavement or, you know, hours in the gym. Um, And you certainly don't need to. I I think once people get fit, it doesn't take a lot of time each week or each day, a few minutes each day to maintain that level of fitness. But intensity then becomes more important. Okay, and I think one of the things you've just said is that you once you get fit, then you can do that. And I reckon that's maybe one of the biggest barriers that people face. And I know Stephen Covey, when he talks about his four quadrants of time management, he'll call health and fitness a quadrant two activity. So that's something that's important, but not urgent. And I'm sure there are a lot of leaders out there who say, I'm really busy, I 
don't have the time for it now. I know my health is important, but I'll get around to it someday. But at the moment, it seems like a luxury rather rather than something that's a necessity or a must do. So what do you say to those people? How do you get them to come around to this way of thinking of making this a priority? Um, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of people who do do believe that, you know, well, I can put this off and maybe I'll wait till I retire and then I'll, then I'll get healthy um, and, and a bit fitter. The risk for them is we don't actually know what's going on on the inside. So when they say it's not urgent, they don't actually know that. Um, you know, I know people who thought they could get away with that um, and unfortunately the first sign they've had that something's gone wrong is that they've um, had a heart attack and that's the last sign they had. Mm-hmm. So... It, in some ways, the belief that it's not urgent, it is actually urgent. We need to make it a priority because we don't really know how far away we are from a health issue um, on the inside. The other thing I say to people is when you're fitter and healthier, you're actually more productive. So this isn't just about improving your health so you can you know, be healthy when you're 90. It's actually helping to make you more productive now. So the 30 minutes that you might spend a day exercising, you're going to get that back. In, in better productivity, in better performance in what you're doing, in less stress in what you're doing. So it's an investment in time, but the return is instant in a lot of ways because you feel better and you're more productive when you feel better. Yeah, and I guess it's just a matter of getting people to kind of maybe, maybe experience that for themselves and realise that that's the case. Absolutely. Um, you know, if I could take a magic wand and tap people on the shoulder and say, this is what you'll feel like after you've been exercising regularly for six months and you've developed lifestyle habits around relaxation and sleep and food and all the things that go with being healthy. If I could tap them on the shoulder and say, this is what you'll feel like on the inside, um, people wouldn't want to go back. Um, people start exercising because they're scared about their health often. And the thing that keeps people exercising, um, and the research has been quite a bit of research, and the thing that keeps people exercising is that they just feel so much better when they do it. Mm, and I know that's true. Even for me, like tomorrow, I'm flying out on an overseas trip, and I need, I, it, the flight's in the morning, and I need to get there a couple of hours early. But I'm just still trying to figure out how I can squeeze in my half an hour to an hour of exercise before I get in the taxi to go to the airport. Yes, once it becomes a habit, you you know that, um, and I use this to motivate myself because some mornings, you know, it's hard to get out of bed when it's <laughs> cold and dark. And I'll, if I'm lying in bed sort of debating, oh, do I feel like it? I'll think, okay, what am I going to feel like at three o'clock in the afternoon if I don't get up? And I know I'm going to feel so much better at three o'clock in the afternoon or for the rest of the day if I've got up and, you know, pushed myself and sweated a bit and, um, sort of got my exercise out of the way, um, it just sets you up for the day and you feel much better. Yeah, absolutely it does. Let's do an example, David. So let's take a typical example of, let's say, a business leader. So we'll talk about, say, a senior manager of a mining company. Let's say he's a man, he's in his 50s, he works six, six and a half, seven days a week, he starts work early, finishes late every day, he spends a lot of time on planes and in hotel rooms because he's travelling around to site and to head office and to regional offices and so on. And he's the sort of person who does feel tired and stressed and overworked and he, let's say he knows he needs to do something but he thinks he doesn't have the time. So what does he need to do? So I I know that when you work with clients, you'll do some initial work. You'll have an initial consultation with them. You'll do some sort of assessment and you come up with some sort of program. Let's see, let's let's skip past all of that. What would be a typical program for someone like that? Given that you're not giving advice here, this is just an example. 
Yes, the sort of things that I try to incorporate into people's lives, I say to them, listen, it's a given you have to exercise. So the excuse you've got no time is not going to work. We've got to find at least sort of 30 minutes a day um, to, to do something. And that 30 minutes is, is all up, sort of warm up and doing some exercise in there and then and then cooling down. So I'd be aiming to get them to... Um, maybe it means getting up half an hour earlier or maybe it means they find half an hour at lunchtime but they need to find that, that bit of time. And I'd be getting them to do a variety of things. So they'd do some, some short bursts of, of um, say, if, they're, if they like running and I'd negotiate with them, do you like running or biking or have you got a rowing machine or a treadmill, um, see what works, and get them to do some short, sharp bursts of higher-intensity exercise. So they might you know, warm up on a treadmill, for example, for three or four minutes then they'll turn up the speed and go hard for a minute and then they'll ease it back off again and they might do that five times. So during that 20 to 30 minutes, they've done five minutes of sort of hard exercise. Um, and I try to get them to vary it. So, you know, say they've got a treadmill, they might do some or they go out running and do that. Um, if they can do something upper body as well, I'll try to get them to do that. So they might use a rowing machine or they might swim to use their upper body. And the same principle applies, doing some short, sharp bursts to get their intensity up. The other thing I'd do for people like, for a person like that, Dihan, is I'd show them some exercises they can do kind of anywhere, anytime. Um, you know, if they're in a hotel room or if they're up on a mine site and they're staying in a donger, they you know, just need to do some body weight strength exercises um, that they can incorporate. Sometimes they've got a day where they just can't seem to fit anything in. So I say, okay, you need to do three minutes of some of these exercises. So it might be push-ups and sit-ups and some other body weight exercises. Um, as much as anything, that's to keep their head in the mental state of I'm doing some exercise every day. And it may be some days they only do three or four minutes, but they've done something. Yeah, okay. So one of the things I got from what you've said was that there seems to be a variety of things that you're recommending. And I remember when I when I did a workout program at the gym, I remember the trainer saying to me, let's not do the same program every day because you'll get bored with it. And I wonder whether he was just saying that because he didn't want me to get bored or whether there was actually some physiological reason for varying the exercise as well, because you seem to have a lot of variety in that example that you just gave. Yes, I do. In the programs I design, Gihan, I have a lot of variety, but I don't necessarily agree with the principle that a lot of personal trainers um, propose that you've got to keep changing it every few months. Okay. Um, I think the key is that you've got variety during your week. So I'd never get people to do the same thing every day. Um, I'd get them to try and do, say, two days of the same thing. So to give you an example, um, I get, might get someone to ride their bike two days a week and then they might swim a couple of days a week and the other couple of days they might do some strength training. So they wouldn't sort of when you some people end up with programs where they, you know, they get into cycling and all they do is ride their bike every day. Well, that's good for their legs, but what about the rest of their body? So I try to have a program that incorporates all their body and is different modes of exercise. So that's the variety piece that I put in there, not, gosh, you've got to change your exercise routine every three weeks. Okay, great, great. That helps. Okay, so now that example that we picked, I know it was a very stereo, very stereotypical. It was almost like 50 years ago, I would say the majority of leaders would have been those middle-aged men in there who are these overworked type A type people. But of course, leadership changes now and there's there's very 
there are different types of leaders. So if you look at, I'd just like to look at a few others, David, and maybe you'll have some comments on them. And you might say they're, all, they're actually the same, but there might be some differences. And of course, the first obvious one is that there are a lot more women now in leadership positions and in, in very senior leadership positions and also in middle management. And maybe they face, well, they definitely face different challenges from men in similar sort of roles, but maybe they have to do different things in terms of exercise. What do you think? I think when we're talking about women, Gihan, the, the key difference I emphasise with women, they still need some high intensity, they still need some aerobic exercise. They probably need more strength training than men just because of the hormonal difference. Men naturally have more testosterone, they have more muscles, and they don't tend to lose their strength as quickly as women. So with women, I'll always put a bit extra emphasis on making sure they're maintaining their strength maintaining their upper body strength because they women tend to lose that quicker than men um, and also make sure they're doing things that are going to, going to um, improve their bone density or maintain their bone density, so some weight-bearing exercise because women are more susceptible to osteoporosis than men are. Not that men aren't, but, but women are probably more susceptible. So the strength and the bone density issues I probably focus on a bit more with women. Okay, great, great. And now another group is uh, young young leaders or younger people who are now moving into leadership positions. And of course, we tend to look at the younger people and say, well, they're full of energy, vitality. They're not the sort of people who need to perhaps exercise as much. But I reckon quite often they might be working twice as hard as everybody else and they, they're ambitious and they're hardworking and they're really motivated and maybe they don't have that sort of time. And they're also trying to build things like family, friends, community, maybe working in social enterprises away from work. So in some ways, they maybe need this more than ever before. Is there any sort of advice that you'd give for them? Well, the, the advice I give to them is how, how critically important is that at that stage in their career, when they're actually trying to climb the corporate ladder, I think you're right, it's harder work climbing the corporate ladder than once you get to the top. Um, and so they, they need to really be diligent about developing the habits that are going to sustain them as they get further up in that leadership, leadership roles for a number of reasons. One, the further up they get, the more stressful it can become, not always, but more stressful it can become. So you need to be really disciplined about making sure an organisation doesn't swallow up all of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, as you get into middle, middle age, your body physiologically slows down a bit. So if you haven't developed the habits around staying healthy, staying active, then your body will slow down quicker than if you are active. Um, in fact, the, a lot of the changes that happen as we age are really changes that happen because we become less active, not because of the number of years we've ticked over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. Great. Then the the third group, the third uh, extra group is one that I've got a bit of a vested interest in, David, and that's independent business owners, especially people who who work from home. So people like like you and I maybe face some different sort of challenges and uh, because we're working in a different environment, is there anything that we should be doing differently or could be doing differently and uh, maybe even taking advantage of the fact that we've got a bit more flexibility and choice in our work style? I think one of the benefits of... of exercise for people yeah, like us, Gihan, that work from home quite a bit of the time is that it gives us the opportunity to go out and socialise with other people. As you know, when you work from home, um, you don't necessarily see a lot of people um, every day. So having exercise to break up that routine and get you out into a different environment, get you outside. I mean, it would be quite easy some days to get up, have breakfast, stay inside and work. 
um, and not leave the house. So having exercise as a social outlet and an opportunity to get outside, get some, get a bit of sun, which helps you sleep better when you get a bit of sun during the day. Um, I think that's a critical thing. Um, and also, you know, exercise is becoming a great networking tool for people in business. Um, you know, they say that cycling is the new golf. And I know a lot of people who do business with people that they exercise with because they have this, uh, I guess it's a trust and a respect for people that they're out there exercising with. So it's a, it's actually a, it can become a business tool for networking. Yeah, great. And I hadn't thought about that whole idea of that trust and respect. But yes, you're, you're looking at people who respect themselves and uh, people like that tend to hang out with each other. Absolutely. And, and they say, you know, you become more like the people you hang out with. So one of the things I tell people when they're starting out on an exercise journey is find people who do the things you want to be able to do and try and hang out with them. Yeah, great, great. And so and you just reminded me, David, that what we've been talking about, even though like our conversation has been around leaders, what you've been talking about uh, is, of course, applicable to everybody. And it's not just leaders and people in business who are in management positions who are busy. We're all busy, regardless of our roles. And I guess one of the things that I really like about talking to leaders and the sort of work that you do with management consulting and the executive coaching that you do with leaders is that you help them, but many of those leaders are in a position where they can not only look after their own health, but they are in the position where they can actually put things into place to help others in their organization as well. And I'm just wondering whether you've got some, again, obviously this you can't give specific advice, but are there some easy things that leaders and managers can do in workplaces to help their employees and team members be healthier and fitter? There certainly are, and you're right. One of the, one of the reasons I, I sort of focus, I guess, on, on that leadership group in some ways is because I think the potential flow-on effects are, are greater. Um, if you've got somebody in a leadership position who is, you know, behaving or doing the behaviours, acting out the behaviours that are healthy, other people will copy. So that's one of my big messages to leaders in an organisation is you're a role model. Um, you know, and I've talked in law firms and often law firms of, you know, they're having trouble getting people to take on partnership positions because the younger lawyers look at the partners and think, why would I want to look and feel like they do? Mm. So I think people in leadership roles have an obligation, if you like, to um, demonstrate that you can stay fit and healthy, even if you're in a leadership role and a demanding job. They also have the opportunity to create the environment that supports activity. So, do you know, do they have walking meetings? Do they have um, encourage people to use the stairs? All little things that don't sound like they make much difference, but over a year or over a lifetime, they make a huge difference. So actually influencing the environment, providing facilities for people to commute to work, um, even things like having conversations with your staff about the sort of things you're doing. So if you're been out riding your bike or for a swim or out hiking with the family on the weekend, having conversations about these are the things I did, what, you know, what did you do on the weekend? So subtly people are getting the message that, gosh, it's important to, for me to stay active if I want to aspire to be in that leadership position. And that's quite interesting because I, what I was thinking initially was that you'd be talking about actual programs they put into place, but I think you're making a really good point that by being a role model, you may be able to influence people in your organization just as much or just as effectively, maybe even more effectively than by actually having formal programs in place. I think the real, yeah, I think the real value is going to be in organizations that can create a culture of 
um, one personal responsibility because our own health is our responsibility. Really, no one else, other people can advise us, but only we can can do the things we need to do. It's one of the things I say to people is you can't inherit fitness. You know, you, you might have parents who are world-class athletes, but if you spend your whole life on the couch, you're not going to get there. Mm. So you actually have to do the work. But creating the, the culture within an organisation where that's kind of the expected norm that people will be fit and healthy and active. And organisations can provide incentives too, I think. Um, there's not there's some organisations doing happening a bit more overseas at the moment, not so much in Australia, but there are incentives for people who can maintain their health, maintain their fitness, being, you know, whether it's financial rewards or other rewards that they get. But it's actually in the company's best interest. If they've got fitter and healthier employees, they know they're going to get better productivity out of them. Yeah, yeah. So I get what you're saying about culture change and that it's actually a way of thinking, not just not, not only the formal things that are in place. Yes, I think the programs are valuable, but they're, they're not enough. You know, if, if an organisation spends money and brings in a specialist to talk to the group or to measure people's blood pressure or their cholesterol, well, all that's very well. But if the culture and the behaviours aren't supporting of people doing anything about it, um, it's no good knowing your cholesterol's high if your lifestyle is such that it's not going to change. So you need to create the environment that helps people to make, actually make the changes that are, that are useful. Yeah. Okay. Look, we've talked about a lot of really good things, David, and there's lots of reasons to do, to take on board some of the advice that you've shared here. But of course, like you and I both know that a lot of people don't take that advice on board. And what do you think gets in the way of people taking action? And what what should they do to make sure that they don't sabotage their own efforts to better health? I think they need to get advice about what's going to work for them. People often, um, when they're asked the question, you know, what exercise should I do in a professional, a lot of professionals say, oh, the one that you'll enjoy the most. Well, my answer is not the one that you're going to enjoy the most, the one that's going to make the most difference. Mm-hmm. So they need to make sure they're getting advice about what, what's the right sort of exercise that's actually going to make a difference. Um, and one of the things that stops people taking action, I think, is they want results too quickly. They expect that, you know, they've taken 20 years to put on extra 15 kilos and they think they're going to lose it in three weeks. So they need to be realistic about their expectations um, and they need to be measuring the right things. I think people often get caught up in cholesterol measures and weight and BMIs and all that sort of thing. But if they can actually start to monitor how, how different do I feel after I've been exercising, um, that's the thing that's going to change quickly. So I try to get people to focus on how different they feel after they've been doing exercise for a short period of time. They start to feel better. Um, and if they can focus in on that rather than whether they've lost a kilo off the scales, um, that keeps them motivated. Yeah, great. Great. That's fantastic. That's really useful because I know that a big a big problem for people is just getting started. So before we finish off, I'd really, like you've shared a lot of stuff here and I know we've only just touched the surface of, of all the stuff that you could share and the, the impact that you could make, David. So I'd really like you to share like what sort of clients you like to work with and how do people get in touch with you? Well, I work with a range of, of clients. As you mentioned earlier, Gihan, I work with um, executives and um, business owners. Um, I've worked with some retired executives who have, um, you know, now got more time and realise they really want to make health a priority. So they're not necessarily people who have, you know, done nothing over the years, although some of them haven't done a lot. Um, I've also been working with the partners of those people as well because, you know, family and the the 
um, influence of what goes on at home is also important. So sometimes I'll be working with wives and or husbands, <clears throat> partners, to help them um, support their busy um, working partner, if you like. Um, so there's a whole range of, um, of people that I work with. People can get in touch with me. You know, I'm happy to talk to people about, about where they're at and whether I can help them. And, you know, I have a program where we work with people over a, an extended period of time and I would act as kind of the external consultant to make sure the things that they're engaged in are really going to make a difference and to be that support person and that accountability person. So I've got a, a website which is lifelongfitness.net. Um, my email and contact details are on there or people can phone me on uh, on my mobile. I'm happy to have it organised to catch up with people. My mobile is 0419907432 for those people that are in uh, in Perth, that's an Australian number, obviously, in, in Perth, Western Australia. Great. Thank you. And so the, the website, again, where they can find your other contact details is lifelongfitness.net. That's right. Fantastic. And I also recommend that if you go to the website, you should definitely just sign up to David's blog and newsletter because he has some great, really practical examples, uh, really practical articles, which are full of really the things you can put into action straight away. So really, I, I get a lot of value from them, David, just by reading your blogs and newsletter every time they come out. Oh, thanks, Guy. And I, I forgot to give my email address, which is obviously obviously an easy way for people to contact me as well, which is which is david at lifelongfitness.info. So right. Email right. address. Yep. yep. Fantastic. So, David, I really appreciate you sharing your time and especially sharing your, your insights and your wisdom. And I hope that that helps to give leaders, as we started off by saying, give leaders and their people uh, more energy, health, happiness and fitness and they can live a longer life as well. I hope so. That's, uh, that's my goal. Thanks, David. Bye for now. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with David. Remember, you can get in touch with David through his website, lifelongfitness.net. So let's move on to our next segment, which is all about being highly effective. Last year, Dr. Stephen Covey, the author of the best-selling book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, passed away. It was a highly influential book for many people, including me. So Chris Pudney and I, who wrote our own book, Out of Office, decided to apply these seven habits to telecommuters and other out-of-office workers. What we thought we'd do today was a bit of a tribute podcast to Stephen Covey. We're certainly not suggesting that the the ideas that we've got are anywhere near the wisdom and insight that Stephen Covey can offer or offered in his book. What we're going to talk about are Stephen Covey's seven habits, but applied to out-of-office workers. So the way that he did it was he organized the habits in three groups. And the first three habits are about moving from dependence to independence. And the next three are about moving from independence to interdependence. And then he's got a final habit, the seventh habit, which is all about continual improvement. So we're going to take the, take them in turns. And uh, Chris, why don't you start off with habit number one? Okie dokie. Well, the first is about, it's called be proactive. And the way that that relates to an out-of-office worker specifically is that as an out-of-office worker, you have much more control over your work environment compared with people who work in a standard office situation. So, for instance, when you start work and when you end work, as well as the way that you structure your working hours in between, is something you've got more control over than uh, people who work nine to five as, as desk jockeys. And also, the way that you interact with your colleagues throughout the day is something that, again, you have a bit more control over than uh, if you're in an office where you're being called to meetings and so forth. 
And also where you work is something that an out-of-office worker has a bit more control over. So you could be working from a home office or you could be at an internet cafe or down at a park or you could be on the road traveling and having a bit of a working holiday. So with all of that increased flexibility comes uh, the need for greater responsibility and also you have to be a bit more self-disciplined than the standard office worker. So what are the things that uh, you need to be proactive about as an out-of-office worker? Well, one of the most important ones is that you need to be focused on achieving particular outcomes rather than just turning up for work and counting how many hours you've done. Also, in order to maintain focus, it's important that throughout your working day that you take regular breaks. So if you're using something like the Pomodoro technique, then that happens naturally. You work for bursts of, say, 30 to 40 minutes, and then you have a five-minute break. And this helps you maintain a kind of mental freshness and keep you focused and productive. There's a bit of a misconception that out-of-office workers slack off because uh, they don't have people watching over them. But uh, the converse, the actual data suggests that the opposite is true, that because out-of-office workers have access to their working resources, be it their home office or online resources for working, that they tend to work harder than uh, than is expected of them. Uh, so it's important to draw a line at the end of the day, so structure working day, know when you're going to finish the day, and at that time, uh, shut the door behind you, both mentally and uh, physically if you've got a home office, and stop working at that point rather than ducking back into the office and doing another hour's work in the evening, for instance. In a standard office environment, then the office managers usually are tasked with making sure that you've got comfortable and ergonomic furniture, but that falls to you as an out-of-office worker to make sure that you set up your workplace in a way that means you've got an ergonomic workstation, that uh, you're looking after your eyes and not causing yourself eye strain, and uh, you're not spending eight hours a day hunched over a laptop at uh, at the kitchen bench, for instance. Also, in a uh, a standard office environment, you might have an IT department who takes care of things like computer security and doing backups and disaster prevention. As an out-of-office worker, this sort of responsibility usually will fall to you. So make sure you've got the technical measures in place like firewalls and antivirus software and operating system updates and online backups and all the stuff that goes along with that uh, in place, as well as making sure that you're mentally switched on so you're not falling for uh, email and phishing scams. You also need to um, have the kind of paperwork in place, like uh, your insurances, be it uh, professional indemnity insurances and insuring your home office and your equipment, as well as making sure that you're taking care of keeping your expenses for office and work um, expenses separate from your personal expenses. And finally, when you're uh, collaborating with your colleagues and clients, uh, you need to be a bit proactive there. You need to take the initiative and make sure, for instance, that roles and responsibilities on a particular project are agreed to in advance by all the people concerned and that deadlines for deliverables are well understood. And I also found it interesting that that be proactive was Covey's habit number one. And I'm sure he thought very carefully about what order to put them in, because habit number two, which is the one we're going to talk about next, is begin with the end in mind. And it seems almost like that should be habit number one, because it it should be about figuring out out your goals and your mission statement first. But I think it makes sense that you have to be a proactive person first before you can, in our case, like 
become an out of office worker and then make sure that you do understand what what the end is uh, and most of us who choose an out of office work style do it because it helps us achieve other goals in our life so it's not just that we go to an office and work for eight hours and then go home and then look at our other goals it's that the the work style is part of our life so it's not work-life balance it's a it's actually work is part of life so we're looking for things like more convenience more comfortable work environment uh, the freedom to travel and work from anywhere uh, more time with family and friends uh, if you've been working in an out-of-office work style for some time just remember to reconnect with your original goals and be just be sure that you're what you're doing at the moment in your work style is still aligned with them because it's easy for for things to drift to drift a bit uh, so make sure that you're still on track with these goals for example uh, you mentioned earlier chris that one of the traps for an out-of-office worker is that you might actually work too hard which means that even though you might have started with the intent that you get to spend more time with family uh, you may find that you're working early in the morning before the kids go to school and early in the evening after they come back from school and you actually don't get the time with family that you were that you originally intended so make sure that you do that make sure you reconnect with those original goals and remember that end uh, as Stephen Covey says begin with the end in mind and of course with out of office workers there's quite often other people involved as well so it may be a partner, it may be a family, there may be friends, even your boss, and make sure that you involve them in this process of understanding your original goals and making sure that they're aligned with that as well and happy with that as well. Very good. So Covey's uh, third habit is to put first things first. So as an out-of-office worker, this relates to how you manage your time and structure your work. He, uh, Covey urges people to focus on what's most important, not merely what's urgent. And when it comes to working out of office, sometimes uh, it seems that things are both urgent and important. So it's, impo it's, it's important to make the distinction and understand which is which. Uh, and Covey has this great expression that uh, when we stay focused, we need to ensure that we don't major in minors. So how do we do this as an out-of-office worker? Well, one of the ways you can do achieve this is to make sure that you've planned the things that you're going to work on. So this happens at various timescales. So you can have a daily plan. Uh, so I, us I usually have a to-do list that is um, ordered according to what's important rather than necessarily what's urgent. And then longer term as well, you can have a weekly pan plan, what you want to achieve in the coming month and extend that even out to quarterly and yearly plans if, if they're needed. It's also important to have rules for handling interruptions and I mentioned the Pomodoro technique earlier and this has uh, a set of rules for what to do if during a Pomodoro session you are interrupted, whether you need to defer it or handle it immediately or whether you need to kind of eliminate that kind of interruption in future. Uh, so make sure that you have these things in mind so that you know what to do when you get interrupted during a work session. You can also uh, have rules for how you handle particular email messages because a lot of people seem to send email for urgent communications, whereas if you're an out-of-office worker, you're probably not uh, letting email interrupt you. And so people who are using email for urgent communications are going to miss the opportunity to have urgent tasks dealt with. So it's important to set up uh, communication channels correctly such that important and urgent messages go via the phone or instant messaging, instant messaging and conversely you're not uh, interrupting people with a phone call uh, when an email message would suffice. So you can also lead by example so uh, the people that you work with you'd hope that they would 
work in a similar way, for example, when it, as I mentioned, using email, you don't want them emailing your urgent stuff, you don't want them phoning you or instant messaging you for stuff that's not so urgent. So you can lead by example by setting up the communication channels that uh, you think should be used uh, and also educating your colleagues to do likewise. Great, great. And as we said at the start, those first three habits are about yourself. It's about moving from being a dependent person to being an independent person. So in summary, they would be proactive, begin with the end in mind and put first things first. The next three are about dealing with other people. And you, you led on nicely to that, Chris, because you're talking about how you coach your clients and colleagues. So habit number four is thinking win-win. And this is a really interesting one and a really important one when you're working out of office because when you're not working in the same office as your colleagues or your clients, it's easy for simple things to cause conflicts. So just a couple of examples that you might find that a, a colleague in the office calls an important meeting that you can't attend in person because you it happens to be one of your out of office days or you may be all the time out of office or your manager is complaining that she can't get in touch with you during normal working hours just because you don't observe normal working hours. Uh, or a client insists on using the phone for discussing things that they can easily resolve by email instead. So those sort of situations quite often don't affect in-office workers because they're all in the same environment. But they can uh, they can affect us as out-of-office workers, and they can just be little small niggling things, but eventually resentment and frustration builds up. And there are, there are a couple of options here. So you could give in. But Covey would call that lose-win because they get what they want, but it's at your expense. Or you can just uh, hold firm and refuse to change, but that's win-lose because it's the other way around. You get what you want, but they don't. And, and both of those options cause resentment and friction somewhere down the line. So look for options where you both get what you want, and that's what Covey calls win-win. And sometimes it's actually surprisingly easy to make everybody happy. So if I go back to those examples that I, that I mentioned earlier, so let's say colleagues are calling meetings that you can't attend in person. Well, tell them the days that you're available for in-person meetings so that they can schedule them on those days if possible, because they will generally, if they know, they'll try to do the right thing by you. It's just that they may not know or they may not think about it. But if you make it front of mind for them, then they will and they'll, they'll try to accommodate you. Uh, if you've got a manager who's uh, trying to always get in touch with you and make sure and uh, monitor that you're available during normal working hours, uh, maybe you just need to work with them and just educate them that you know, you're going to you're going to achieve the results regardless of the hours that you're working. And maybe you need to start by working those fixed hours and make sure that you deliver results on time or ahead of time and then gradually move move away from that so that they, so your manager starts understanding that you are still going to deliver on time and on budget and um, you know even ahead of time if necessary, uh, even if you're not working the exact same hours as everybody else in the office. Um, and the third example, if you've got clients who insist on using phone or instead of email or vice versa, maybe all you need to do is schedule a reg regular phone call with them so that you have a short, sharp phone call, let's say once a week, where for 10 or 15 minutes you discuss the issues that are coming up this week and that's all they need because they just need to hear your voice and then after that they're happy to communicate by email. And I'm not saying those, are the, those solutions will work for everyone. But Stephen Covey's point is look for a win-win solution rather than giving in, which is lose-win, or refusing to change, which is win-lose. Very good. And Covey's fifth habit is seek first to understand and then to be understood. So it's about listening. And from the point of view of an out-of-office worker, it's really important that uh, – because – 
often we're communicating through channels like email or text messaging or phone, and we don't have the kinds of subtle cues that you'd otherwise observe if you're having a face-to-face conversation with someone. So things like facial expressions, the tone of someone's voice, uh, or, so, or, or physical gestures aren't available to you as an out-of-office worker when you're communicating remotely. So it means you have to be a bit more, bit more diligent when you're communicating with others to actually listen closely to what's being said. So you can be explicit uh, about getting that kind of information from the people you're communicating with by actually asking, uh, for instance, at the beginning of a phone call or a meeting, what it is the others want to achieve. And you can actually listen out and look for those subtle cues. Sometimes they're not so not so subtle uh, regarding the, the emotion and intent behind the words that the people are using. And if you need to, again, be explicit. Ask for clarification if you're not sure exactly what the other person's talking about, if they're being unclear or ambiguous. And that's the listening and hearing part. The other aspect of this particular habit is once you've got all that information by listening closely to what's being said to you, is to then examine that information from the perspective of the other people involved. So put yourself in their shoes and assess the information from their point of view, not just from your own point of view, and then you're in a much better position to understand what's being said and how it affects the others involved. And it sounds like a lot of work. With every email, you have to think about what the other person's reading. But after a while, it becomes a habit that you start using this sort of language where there isn't there isn't that ambiguity. Yeah. I'm wondering, Gihan, also with the um, increased prevalence of video channels for communication, whether we're going to have more uh, higher higher fidelity one-to-one and one-to-many conversations. So some of those cues are going to be available to us, but I think we still have to be vigilant in and diligent in the way that we communicate, even even if it is uh, involving video and audio. I think you're right. I think that as we as we progress with better bandwidth and better technology, we will get to the stage where we're doing more video conversations and video communication. But actually, this, this is interesting because it's leading into what I was going to say next with Habit 6. But we still have to be good at communicating when we're not trying to simply reproduce a face-to-face in-person situation because that's not always going to be the case. And, and more and more, we're going to be communicating and collaborating in situations where we're not sitting in front of the other person, where we're not uh, belly-to-belly with them, as I've heard some yeah. people say. And that's a good thing. In some ways, there's, there, are, there are some advantages to that. Yeah. So, in fact, let's talk about that, because Habit 6 uh, is Stephen Covey's habit, Synergize, which is actually, it's not just about collaborating and working together. It's about looking at the differences and taking advantage of those differences to create something better so the the management speak around that, I mean, if, even synergy is, a, is kind of a, like a management speak word, but you, you sometimes hear people say one plus one equals three, which for, for the two of us, Chris, who have maths degrees, that's, <laughs> that's a bit painful sometimes. But you get the point. It's uh, The idea is that you don't just say, okay, let's work together and make one plus one equals two, but actually let's use our differences to find to find some advantages. And when you're working in an out-of-office work style, sometimes because of the differences, you can turn them to your, uh, you can make them into benefits. So sometimes, yeah, sure, it's harder to work together. And you, as you said, Chris, there are things like video that can make it easier and make it seem more like you're in the office. But also don't just stop at that point. Look at some of the advantages that you get from working out of office and find better solutions for everyone. 
So, for example, uh, you know this all the time, Chris, because you work in a very different time zone than your colleagues. So there's probably what what's between six and eight hours difference, depending on the time of year, That's between right. you and your colleagues. So you're working yep. in different time zones, which means that sometimes when they're asleep, you're working, and vice versa, which means that you've got a longer working day combined. So sometimes you can actually be more productive as a team because you're working a 14-hour day and sometimes even a 24-hour day because you might have three teams around the world and you're kind of working around the clock, but everyone's only really working an eight-hour shift. And you don't have to worry about things like people working night shifts and things like that because they're they're working during their day. So that's an example where an out-of-office work style can actually be beneficial to productivity. As an out-of-office worker, because online collaboration is more important, you can also help your other in-office workers uh, learn to use and uh, implement online collaboration tools. So even if most of your uh, colleagues and clients work in an office most of the time, it might be handy for them to know how to use things like Skype and their webcam for video conferencing or their get get a good microphone for uh, and headset for audio conferencing because they might be traveling from time to time. And those are the times when it's actually handy for them to be able to use some of these out-of-office tools so that they can uh, they can be as effective and productive when they're occasionally out of office, whereas people like us might be most of the time out of office, but we can teach them how to use those things. And, of course, some of the things that we've talked about, like the productivity tools and the productivity habits, might be really useful in an office because many offices are very inefficient and unproductive. So, you know, you might start a habit that everyone starts meetings on, everyone turns up to meetings to start on time because you expect that people are going to turn up to your online meetings on time. uh, And therefore, people might just adopt that habit in the office as well. We can always wish. We can. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Covey's final habit is sharpen the saw, and it comes from uh, the phrase, which you probably heard, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I would spend seven hours sharpening the saw. In fact, you'd probably spend five hours, five minutes phoning a professional tree lopper in the remaining <laughs> time <laughs> watching sport on TV or something. You'd ask us uh, to India. <laughs> yes, perhaps you would. <laughs> Uh, But uh, the expression itself is about uh, continual improvement and working on yourself, not just your work. And most people who work in a standard office environment, they have access to things that uh, work would set up for them, like professional development, uh, where they'd be sent off to conferences or attend courses or go on team building exercises and activities um, that... uh, might not be available to you as an out-of-office worker. Some of the more progressive workplaces even have uh, gyms associated with the works with the workplace and have canteens that serve uh, healthy and nutritious food. These things are all going to fall to you when you're working out of office. So it's really important that uh, you make sure that you're getting plenty of exercise and you're having a healthy lunch and that you're taking care of your own professional development. So attend courses occasionally and make sure you subscribe to really important blogs like the Out of Office blog or the Out of Office podcast and reading great ebooks like the Out of Office book and so on. But uh, these things are going to fall to you. So it's important that when you're an out of office worker that you're taking care of continually improving yourself sharpening the saw, so to speak, uh, and um, making sure that uh, the way that you work can be improved as well. Do you want to work from virtually anywhere? The internet makes it possible, and the book Out of Office shows you how. Get your copy at outofofficebook.com and get more convenience, comfort, and freedom in your work life. 
Let's stay on the success and productivity theme, but move from seven habits to nine things. These are nine things that successful people do differently. And it's based on the book of the same title by Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson. And she draws on the latest research in social psychology to identify nine things that help you to set and achieve your goals in this modern world. I'm going to give you an overview of them here, and then I recommend you buy the book to look into the details. I'm also running a webinar about this in a few weeks' time, so I'll tell you about that afterwards. So let's go through those nine things, and I'll tell you what those nine things are and for each one I'll give you a question that you can ask yourself as well to help you with your goal setting and planning. The so first one, get specific. So be specific about your goals so that you know that when you achieve them you'll actually know that you'll achieve them. And in fact the question you should ask yourself is how will you know? So how will you know that you've achieved the goal? And if you can't answer that question now whether you can tell black or white whether you've achieved that goal then the goal isn't specific enough. Number two, be a realistic optimist. So definitely be optimistic and set goals that may be a little bit out of your reach, but be realistic as well and know that life's going to get in the way. So the question that you should ask yourself is what could get in the way? So identify the obstacles up front so you can plan how you're going to manage them. Number three, focus on what you will do. So if you're setting a goal to eliminate something or to change a habit, instead of thinking about what you won't do, ask yourself what you will do. And especially if you're looking to remove something or eliminate something from your life, rather than set the goal of actually getting rid of it, ask yourself, what will you do instead? So what will you put in its place? It's much easier to change a habit than to eliminate it altogether. Number four is to seize the moment. And this is simply, at the start of your goal setting process, plan when you're going to actually take the actions towards your goal. So the question is, when and where will you do it? When and where will you do the tasks that you need to do in order to achieve your goal? And the more that you can plan it and schedule it, the better. So it might be, every Monday morning, I'm going to clear out my inbox. Or, every Tuesday afternoon, I'm going to go to the gym. Or, every day after lunch, when I get back to the office, I'm going to call three prospects. Number five, know what you've got left. So it can be quite motivating to look at how much progress you've made, but it's also very effective to look at how much is left to be done. So what will you measure and when? So plan what you'll be measuring along the way and when you're going to be doing those measurements. Number six, focus on getting better, not just being good. This is particularly for complex goals where you don't necessarily know exactly how to achieve them. The question to ask yourself is how will you measure progress? So measure your progress, not just achieving the goal. The final three are what you do along the way. Number seven is have grit. So the people with persistence and determination are the ones who are going to achieve their goals. So the question to ask yourself is when will you need to be strong? So anticipate as much as possible the obstacles or the problems or the challenges that may come up along the way and then plan how you're going to deal with them. Number eight is related, build your willpower muscle. So willpower is a muscle, just like anything else, like a physical muscle. It can fatigue and it needs practice. So how can you exercise your willpower? That's the question to ask yourself. What can you do along the way? Set yourself small willpower challenges that will help you build up your willpower muscle. And also, don't try to achieve too much because it will tire out your willpower. And number nine, don't tempt fate. So if possible, create an environment around yourself that's going to make it easy for you to achieve your goal and stop you from falling back into bad habits. The question to ask yourself, how can you stay away from temptation?
So those are the nine things that successful people do differently. You can buy the book by that name by Dr. Heidi Grant Halverson or you can come along to my webinar which I'll be running at the end of the year. And if you'd like to attend that, it's a free webinar, go to my website gihanperera.com and on the right hand side sign up for the free webinar series. So that's it for Expert Gold Radio for this month and, of course, for this year. hope you've enjoyed the radio show. And if you'd like to engage with me in other ways as well, here are some of the things you could do. You could subscribe to my email newsletter, Expert Gold, at gihanperera.com. And while you're there, read and subscribe to my blog as well. And also, sign up for the free webinar series that I mentioned a few minutes ago. I run two webinars a month, and they'll help you with your personal and professional life. If you like video, go to my video channel at gihanperera.tv and watch my regular educational videos. You could also join my membership site, the eGurus community, and you can find out more at eGurus.info. Or you can engage me as a speaker for your next conference. Find out more at gihanspeaks.com. I wish you a safe and happy Christmas season and all the best for 2014. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. You've been listening to Expert Gold Radio. If you'd like to subscribe, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.